Yes. Hello, it is Jordan. You have made it. It is episode 41 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Uh, Currently for me, right now in this moment, it is about 2 a.m. on Friday night. I just got home uh, from hanging out with Hannah and Drew Cohen that you may remember from episode 19. Uh, They fed me a lot of espresso, and I really haven't messed with espresso, and now I kind of like it, and I can see that it will be uh, likely a very dangerous, slippery slope from here on out. But uh, but look, um, it's 2 a.m. on a Friday, and I'm being very productive right now uh, and speaking to you. Uh, and it could be like five fucking years from now that you're listening to this. Uh, so from the beginning of 2018, uh, I just want to say uh, we, uh, we here. Anyway, uh, I'm very excited. Episode 41, we have Sam Silverman. Uh, she is someone that I've known for quite a while, and she is a marketing manager for Live Nation. Specifically, she works out of the Fillmore Silver Spring, which is right outside of D.C., and that is where Justin and I saw Periphery uh, almost a year ago. I don't know. It was the first time that we saw Periphery uh, while chocolate croissants was a thing, and we watched with Misha's parents, who were lovely, lovely people. Uh, so why Sam, you ask? Uh, she is someone who, it's interesting, she's not a musician, but she works in the music industry, and she is someone that I was naturally attracted to when I met her many years ago. Uh, and I, I speak about this in the conversation, but I, I knew she would be successful uh, doing whatever she was interested in at that given point in her life. But music has been it for her. She is someone that went to college and made every opportunity count. Uh, So all of her internships, she worked at all of the major music venues in Baltimore. Uh, She also worked at a record store at the time. She has managed the band. Hey, she managed uh, Kevin the Drummer's band, Stacked Like Pancakes, who was our really our first guest uh, back on episode 10, uh, when I had Lyme disease. Do I still have Lyme disease? I don't know. I took the antibiotic for like two months and it made me feel like shit. But uh, I haven't had any like lymph nodes since then, so uh, I think we're good. Yeah, we're good. Uh, real quick, Rode microphones. I'm using the NT-USB microphone right now. It plugs directly into my laptop. Very, very simple. Uh, Joe Hamilton, all the way in the UK, he got his NT-USB Rode microphone. Uh, hey, happy birthday, man, or thanks for what you've done for us. You deserve a Rode microphone. Uh, and if you're listening to this, you deserve a Rode microphone as well. R-O-D-E dot com. They are from Australia, uh, which means that their microphones are superior. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. Um, hey, the jingle bells are here too. I don't know why, but it's 2 a.m. on a Friday, so why not? Uh, is that it? I guess so. There's been a lot going on in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. I saw that Justin and Jeffrey Blake from episode 40, they did a 30 minute Facebook live, uh, earlier this evening and, uh, all day they were taking questions in the Facebook group, uh, anything related to fitness, uh, or nutrition. And I saw that they opened with uh, a question about oysters. So that's the thing. Do you guys eat oysters? Let us know in the Facebook group. I've tried them. Not really my thing. I dig mussels, though. You know, but like, oh, man, Joe, I'm not even going to get into it. Uh, Joe Squared, what's up? Uh, You guys used to have mussels. They're amazing. You don't do it anymore. I guess I have gotten into it. Uh, Fuck, man. This espresso is, is, is something. 
Uh, okay, the Facebook, that's one thing. Road microphone, that's another thing. And episode 41 with Sam Silverman, that is a thing. And you are going to listen to it right now. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Hi. Welcome to my apartment, and welcome to episode 41 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. You've never been here before, have you? I have not. And you've never met Matt before, have you? I have not. So this is Matt. Hi. Hi. And you have met Justin. Yes. Good to see you. And now we're all together, and we've all met each other. But me and Sam have a very mutual friend, Kevin the Drummer. Mm-hmm. Yes, episode 10, Kevin the Drummer. So how do you know Kevin the Drummer, Sam? Uh, I used to manage Stackley Pancakes, which is the band that he's drumming for. And they're not ska, but they're brass rock. Correct. Um, but you don't manage them anymore. Right. Okay. Uh, we don't need to start jumping all over the place, but uh, I guess that's how you and Justin met, right? Through the, the Towson University thing? Yeah, we go a little further back than Stackley Pancakes. Is that student activity? Yeah, campus activities. Campus activities. Yeah. Well, actually, even before that, I I had that birthday concert at the Auto Bar. Oh, yeah. Remember yes. that, that the dialogue played. played? Right, right. So I think I just knew you from around Towson. Yeah. Yeah. The music scene. Yeah. Well, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thanks. Well... Yeah. And you're still (laughs) having those shows. No, I did it. I think I did it four years in a row. And then I took a break and then did another one. But I'm not really doing I'm too busy. I feel like I don't have enough time to do it. Maybe we'll book it for you this year. Thank you. Sure. When's your birthday? (laughs) December 18th. Damn. Just missed it. This year. All right. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. So um, part of the reason you're busy, I'd assume, is because you just got married. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank so you. hit the bells. Hit the bells. Oh, <laughs> right. Bell worthy. Right. It's there nice because we actually. Those are the wedding bells. We uh, actually just we, did like a, a courthouse wedding or courthouse ceremony. So we didn't have all the, the bells and whistles, literally. But Lachayim nonetheless. Thank you. Are you Jewish? Yeah, I was raised Jewish. Like my family is Jewish, but I, I can't really say that I practice it. Hey, Mazel Tov. Welcome to the. the <laughs> I'm tribe, Jewish. Then. Yeah. Baruch Noi. You gotta say it like you're from Baltimore. Hello, hello, <laughs> Are you from Baltimore? Yeah, I have you grew ever up heard in... Matt say the prayers? No. Okay. Well, just now I, I got going? a little taste. Yeah, keep going. Like bless us. Please don't. Please. Wait, don't. wait, wait, wait. Jordan, I was Jordan. Do the Hanukkah prayer. Do you want Matt to bless Hanukkah. us? Yeah. All right, Matt. Please bless the podcast gonna, and I'm Sam. Not... All right, and, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna, the marriage. I'm gonna do the Hanukkah prayer because that's, that's that's stuck in my head. Go for it. I'm just gonna. Keep just going go, where I left sh- off. Just go for it. I share kids, Shani, Bimitsvu, Tov, Bitsivani, Laholik Nair, Shell, Hanukkah. Amen. Amen. Everybody just so you guys know, that is done with Amen. a Baltimore <laughs> accent. That was good. Hardcore Baltimore accent. I don't like, think anybody's going to want to rip this and post it on YouTube. Good. It's original content. <laughs> Sam, I do remember that you lived. Uh, in Baltimore, because I remember mm-hmm. dropping a book off into your mailbox. Yes. What book was that? It was written by the drummer 
of Semisonic. That's a great book. That's mm. a fantastic what was book. It? I remember that book. What was it called? Uh, I don't oh, know what it was called. Shoot. What was it called? It was very good, though, right? It was a fantastic yeah. book. I can't remember what it was called. I remember he was very well educated. Maybe he went to Harvard, Harvard. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so did the singer. And it was, you know, they, they had a, a massive single at the end of the 90s, and that's kind of uh, when major label music culture kind of peaked as far as a band like that would just be thrown millions of dollars, uh, but not realizing that they'd have to end up paying it back in some way. And it was a book about that lifestyle. And he painted an amazing picture of playing the HF Festival, which in the, the days of having huge radio festivals was our Baltimore Festival. Did you, you ever that? go to those, Sam? Mm-mm. No? I think I was a little too young. I, I wasn't quite in the, the scene yet. Can we ask how old you are? I'm 26. The year 91. That, 91, baby. The first year that we went, 1998, yes. is the year that yeah. Semisonic played. Full circle. Did you go to those, Matt? Yeah, I went to... Like three or four of them. Wow. Did you play any? Uh, never played any HF Festivals. No. Never played it at the HF Festival. But um, my f- very good friend, Brian Stander, would bring me because his dad owned Record and Tape Traders. Uh, all mm. the Record and Tape Trader locations. You worked there, Sam, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I used to work there. Wow. <laughs> I did too. You worked at Towson one, right? Yeah. Right. In college. Tyson just farted again. <laughs> Oh yeah, Sam, meet Tyson. This is Tyson. It's the dog that farts when, we, when there's guests. Only Yeah, he that gets nervous bad. when there's guests. But he likes girls. He seems Ooh, calm. Oh, it's, it's coming this way. Yeah. This is such great content It's a slow here. burner. Yeah. People, you know, they want to know what it's like to, to be in the room for these conversations. So why don't you describe the smell? Let's not. Yeah. So, <laughs> Sam, when, uh, when did music enter your life? I think when I was in middle school, and I actually, I guess I specifically remember for holidays getting like uh, getting gift cards to Barnes and Noble, Circuit City, and even if it was Barnes and Noble, I would always spend it on CDs. Like I would never buy books with it. I would always buy music. I think, and middle school is when I started getting into, it's like I guess bands like Simple Plan and Some Forty One and all those like emo bands. That was kind of where I came up, I guess. Like emo is uh, at heart, definitely what I am. Um, and I think it got deeper in high school when I started having friends who were in bands. And that's when I started, I like, they would play shows and I would want to be at the show helping them sell merch or like kind of just be around it and help out as much as possible. I just kind of gravitated toward it, I guess, because I love music so much and got so much from it that I kind of wanted to give back any way that I could. So you're not a musician? No. What's that like? I mean, did it, because I understand that you, you, you found all this value in, in music culture and community and, and you felt this desire to contribute to it, but did you ever, or do you feel like an outsider in that you're not a musician? No, not at all. That's cool. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going to go. I was going to try to figure out, do you play an instrument? And if not, I think it kind of makes sense. You want to give back. And the best way to give back for bands is to just help grow the team. And that's something that Jordan and I, we always used to talk about, is that we did all of similar work that you were doing helping other bands like Stack Like Pancakes. We were doing it as the two of us, but we were also people in the band. So perception-wise, it was, I think, a bit harder. 
And we also, we, we, we wanted help. It would have been great to be able to expand the team and have someone like you come on and help facilitate certain things that was on our plate that maybe we wish we could have just focused more on the music itself. So specifically, when you first started out, when you first realized you wanted to be involved, you wanted to help the scene, specific bands, um, who were some of those specific bands and what were some of the things you were doing? Um, well, in high school, the the band that my friends had was called Co-Hero and they changed their name to As If It's Tragic. They're no longer a band. Um, but like they would play shows at the Wrecker and I would want to help them sell merch. And then I guess when it got more into college... Um, and also being involved in the Campus Activities Board, like we had a lot of events that recruited local bands to play. So I would just get to know a lot of bands from that and just going to local shows at the record and seeing bands. I remember one of the bands, Oh, The Story. Like I love them and would go to all their shows. Um, Voodoo Blue, they, they were actually... <laughs> Voodoo Blue holds a special place in my heart because they were, they were local bands and when I realized they were local and they sounded so good, I was like, wow, like a local band can sound like this. I kind of just, because you hear what's on the radio and just what's mainstream. And I was like, it obviously is good quality. It's polished. And I was like, wow, like a, a local band can sound like that? I just, I don't know. It kind of pulled me in to that world. It's a band that played the HF Festival. They did. They did. Did you ever did you ever work with them specifically or no help them no out? I, that was kind of in I think that was still in high school I just kind of got into them got it um, they I were guess a three I, piece at that point yeah okay because before that they were a four piece and that's when the three of us were introduced to them and Matt's only a few years older than Justin and I but he was more of a contemporary in that he was in his own band playing shows with Voodoo Blue and Justin and I. As, as young teens, were fans of both bands. And kind of the same thing. We were like, oh, these guys are very good, and they're also very local, so we can do that too if we try. Yeah, It was a great model to follow, because when I was in middle school going into high school and started to formulate this idea of, hey, I can play in a band too, and I can go off and do certain things that I see others doing, I really my group emulated a lot of the stuff that we were doing just based off of what Matt's band was doing and what Food of Blue were doing at the time. I went to Hebrew school with Dan Book from Food of Blue. That's how we first met. I mean, years and years and years ago when we were probably middle school maybe. Maybe even, yeah, probably middle school, maybe before that. But um, then we both, like both my band and his band would play like talent shows together we did like the Owens Mills High School one, I think, at some point. I would go to those. Yeah. At some that. point, Matt and I and Dan Book and Alexi, yeah. you know, we all played in a band together. Yeah. I just saw Dan Book. Saw him. We were on the same flight from Baltimore to LA. And we talked for a little bit afterwards and it was good to see him. So, Dan, if you're listening, hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Um, but hi, so Doss. Was it. Was it venues that you started working with first that led you to then work specifically with bands, or was it working with bands that then led uh, led you to get involved more with working with venues, or both? I think they were kind of one and the same. I mean, I haven't worked with a lot of bands in an official capacity. Like growing up, basically, I think the biggest way that I supported bands was 
actually buying a ticket to buying a consignment ticket from them, um, going to the show, getting a CD and a shirt, getting stuff signed, like like actively going to all of their shows. Explain what a consignment ticket is for those who don't know. So a consignment ticket, like obviously you can buy tickets online, um, but consignment tickets are given to the band physical tickets for the band to sell hand to hand to fans. Which makes a big difference for these bands. Yeah, because a lot of at that level. Those bands, like, they don't get paid a guarantee or anything. They get paid for every ticket they sell, for every body they bring in the room. So they, if a ticket is 10 bucks, they might get, like, 3 bucks for every ticket they sell or whatever the venue set up. When you decided that you wanted to start working with these bands, not just physically going and supporting them in all these different ways you can support the band, but that you really wanted to help, what was it in you that you realized, you said, hey, I can actually help them and I can do this. Did you have any kind of, was there a formal background? Did you read anything? Did you talk to anyone? Or did you say, I just want to help and I'm going to figure it out? Yeah, it was, uh, I just wanted to help and I figured it out. Um, with Stack Like Pancakes, because I guess they're, they're the only band I've ever managed. And then there's one other band that I tour managed for a short tour. Um, but with Stack Like Pancakes, I was a senior at Towson and I was interning for the record um and i had to help put a local show together and they were on it and by that point i'd seen them at a ton of local shows and at the battle of the bands and um they played the show and in the parking lot after the show i saw kel and the singer and i was just like look i really believe in you guys and i want to see you go far and wherever my career takes you i want to take you with me because i just i just kind of felt this connection like I believed in them um and that wasn't that moment wasn't the official start but it kind of planted the seed for it to start so right now you're the marketing manager for Live Nation uh you're working out of DC um and specifically for a few venues in DC um is this what you're doing right now a vision that you had say in college no <laughs> Was no. the vision just to work in the music industry in some yeah. capacity? Yeah. I knew from day one that I wanted to work in the music business. I just didn't know exactly how. I knew I wanted to help bands. So I thought managing might be in the cards. Not that it's ever out of the cards, but I just wanted to be a part of music. So like, I, I went to Towson and studied business and marketing because they didn't have a music business major. So I did like business and then everything on the side, like music, whether it was cab or all, all of my internships were at music venues. <laughs> um, all of my projects and papers were about the music industry. So I kind of just used like my, the business program to help me like understand the music business better. And this is something that we've talked about on multiple episodes. Uh, Finn's comes to mind, Finn McKenty, um, about you you know, took your education into your own hands, right? So there, you wanted to do music business that wasn't offered as a specific major, uh, but you did business and, and it seemed like every opportunity, whether it was an internship or, or projects or, or what have you, uh, you made it your own and, and, and literally created your education in that sense and, and the experiences from it. Oddly enough, when I finally decided to go back and graduate because I took a gap year when the band that Jordan and I were playing in was, was doing well, you know, well. So we said, I said, well, I don't really want this degree. And I was in the business school and didn't feel like it was going anywhere. I went back and did 
there's a there's actually an option called the interdisciplinary yeah. thematic major option of that nature. That. And I did that and I loosely based we had friends and mutual friends, um uh, Hannah and um Andrew who were on the podcast. You know Hannah? She Andrew? managed though the story actually. Exactly. Yeah. Hannah Cohen. I don't think I know her. Hannah Cohen. She went to Drexel and did music business there. Mm-hmm. And I knew others doing that. And so I loosely based um, the thematic option major at Towson on whatever they were doing at Drexel. So I really just made it up. I took business classes and music yeah. and called it music business. Yeah. So you know they don't have it. You can still make it up. Yeah. Um, when you started working with venues, was. Was it what you expected it to be, or was a lot of it quickly demystified for how things work? Dealing with bands every day, dealing with booking agents, dealing with talent buyers, dealing with venue managers, all of the ins and outs of a daily sh- or of a show on a daily basis. I don't think I even had a realistic expectation of what it was yet. My first internship was the summer after my freshman year. At Ram's Head, and it was in, it was in marketing. So I, I think from that perspective, it kind of scratches the surface. It's like basically just how to promote a show, like right. how Facebook ads work, like just kind of the ins and outs of promoting a show. So I didn't I didn't really have a full grasp of how the industry worked or how a venue operated. I, I think I honestly learned most of that when I started working, and I was like, well. Okay. This is everything that goes into it. Was there a particular mentor or group of people that sort of showed you the ropes in that sense? Yeah. Uh, There's one pivotal person in my career who's really shaped it um, and given me the opportunities to be where I am today. Her name was Sarah. And when I had that internship at Ram's Head, she was my supervisor. Um, and basically she has literally had a hand in me obtaining every opportunity that I've had so far. That's very cool. And when you, when you got to where you are now, um, I guess what I'm going for, because, you know, I'm, so my band has, I think we still do have a deal with Live Nation. So we played Mm -hmm. Live Nation venues. We played at the Fillmore last year. Played at the Fillmore last time, yeah. Yeah. Um, is Ramshead Live Nation still in Baltimore? Mm, that's AEG now. Okay. Um, soundstage, I think. That's Live Nation. Yeah, it's, it's like a quasi deal. They're still independently owned, but Live Nation books a lot of shows there. It doesn't I mean? There's still like an independent booker, Adam Savage, who still books a lot of soundstage. Yeah. That couldn't be just one specific person booking it. Yeah. But so, I through. My booking agent, you know, the band's booking agent, I've met, a t- uh, and through our tour manager at every venue we go to, we meet all of the people that work at the venues, you know, and I meet, uh, I've met marketing managers like all over the country. And it's funny because a lot of times their ass is on the line because if the show isn't doing well, mm-hmm. if the ad mat is an old picture that isn't updated, yes. if like, the, you know the wrong picture is used on social media from that venue. If the, the worst is when, you know, you send out this big press release to like all the venues and say, okay, we're going live Friday at noon with the tour announcement, and then one or two people from one particular venue go live the day before. 
or mm-hmm. two hours before. So I'm just curious if, if, like, if you've run into those situations and then had to deal <laughs> or had people, you know, come up to you and be like, hey, you know, this is not we, right. We've run into situations, but I have not directly had to deal with it. That's I remember good. one specific scenario, Ram's Head. I don't remember what show it was at this point, but we, they didn't provide us with an ad med, I don't think, but there was an artist photo. It was like a bill with two artists, a headliner and support act. And it was like the headliner's photo with the support act's name Oof. or something, something like that. Yeah, um, I can imagine. So, uh, I mean, that takes a financial hit on your show. Like the agent will yeah. make you pay for that. For sure. I mean, rightfully so. Like it was an honest mistake, but it's wrong and you have to pay for it. So do, are you dealing with agents specifically or managers or does that sort of come through the channels of like the venue manager who's doing all the advancing with the tour managers and then they, it trickles down to you? Like, do you have any of the direct communication? Yeah, I th- yeah, we definitely, I mean, it depends on every show. Like some shows that are Live Nation tours, you have like a Live Nation tour rep that you deal with. But for any show that's not, like you're talking directly to the agent and the manager. That's cool. Yeah. Are there are there any um, specific bands or managers that have been just awesome to work with that you've really enjoyed? Um, one actually that I remember. So Soundstage was my first job out of school, um, and we were had you, hoodie. Were you doing music marketing there too. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We had Hoodie Allen. Oh um, right. And he basically does everything himself. So like, if you want to talk about the show and marketing, you you talk to him. And he's really involved. He's one of the, one of the most hands-on artists, I think. Are there other yeah. artists that you've worked on who are, if not directly as hands-on as he is? Um, pretty involved? probably. I can't think off the top of my head, but they're usually a little smaller, mm-hmm. um, like small to mid-size, who I guess have a little more time to deal with stuff like that. So. That's that's got to be pretty. Um, Pretty nice to deal directly with an artist who's who's really engaged in yeah. what's going on and is can is working with you to control the messaging and the marketing that's going out there, um, you know. And I wish that we we like we do it like Periphery does it because I think we've well, one we've made it clear to our team that we want to be involved in these kinds of decisions and like in the process um, we don't communicate directly with the people. Um, but we're really lucky to have a good team that is open to our yeah. ideas. But I mean, you definitely don't have to. That's the whole reason why you hire a team is so that they can do that stuff for you. Sure, but it just doesn't ever... that To me, that doesn't make sense because at the end of the day, you have the team... And I mean, this is a whole other thing. <laughs> I'm just thinking out loud now. But like the team is there to do what the band or the artist wants. Mm-hmm. So much of the time, the band or artist relinquishes their ability to control the situation and how they want to be represented and they give that power to a manager or to an agent that oftentimes does not represent them well and I see this over and over and over Mm -hmm. Um, have you run into like scenarios like that where and maybe it's just a band coming into the venue and they're just bummed about the tour or it's not doing as well I mean I don't I don't really get to see the artists when they like come into the venue or anything, and it and honestly it depends on the artist. Like some artists don't care, and like they don't want to be involved in anything because they just want to focus on the music and putting on a good show. Sure. So it it kind of I guess it depends on each artist and 
what they want to be involved in and just how busy they are and and if they have good representation. Like, yeah, you definitely run into scenarios where someone picks up a band or something and it's just not a really good relationship or something. Uh, is there is there any show in particular right now that you're working on that you're super excited about or even in the past like couple months that you've just been super stoked to promote? Um Think. I feel Make like we, sure it's when you can actually say. I oh, know it would have been like a current or previous show. I feel like we've had a lot of pop punk. Um, Is that still oh your favorite gosh. kind of music? Yeah. It's definitely broadened a lot because I've just learned so much about different kinds of music, obviously, over this career because you have to market so many different kinds. What um, are some bands that have kind of shocked you that you didn't realize you would actually be into? until you took this job and you started to hear all these different bands and experience from all these different bands? I feel like there are a lot of bands that I could list that I'm just trying to think of right now. Well, that's cool. I don't we, know. If, if you think I'll of them later, we can, always, we can always post like a yeah. list of like Sam's picks, yeah. something like that, of bands for people to listen to, which could be cool. There's somewhere I want to take this. So I, I do remember uh, Justin and I's band at the time, The Dialogue, playing your birthday show. Uh, and then I remember, you know, I got to play a few of the Tiger Fests, which are Towson University's end of the year stadium shows, uh, thanks in part to to you and, and CAB, which was the organization, the student-run organization, uh, booking those shows. And, and then I guess somewhere around that time, I asked to, like, get coffee with you and just learn your story. You remember that at Barnes & Noble? Yes. Okay. So, and because I was just fascinated with you and uh you know you you were a bit younger than me and i i just i knew you would be successful even then uh and and i think maybe at the time you were also working at record and tape traders perhaps Probably. but then also i guess doing the internships or maybe starting to work at at, at some of these venues and I, I just thought like okay here here's here's this woman who like has a clear vision in the sense that she wants to work in the music industry. And she's just taking every opportunity um, from all these different angles to do it. Um, where did that come from? Because a lot of people have like a dream to do something like that, but they don't have the instinct or the wherewithal to to seek out these opportunities or to have the confidence that, that they can enter these opportunities and, and find success. Well, the, the phrase that comes to mind is create your own luck, which I feel like pretty accurately sums up my story so far in that, yeah, I had the vision and I think I did, I set myself up to kind of be lucky with the opportunities that I had because basically what it comes down to, I think, is if you just show up and have a good work ethic, people will recognize that because- this whole industry, I think, are based on two major things, relationships and reputation. So in hindsight, I guess what I was doing that I didn't realize I was doing was establishing my reputation and then building my network and building my relationships. Just from all the internships and stuff in cab and letting like the passion steer the way, I got my foot in the door and the right people noticed and took note of my passion and work ethic and saw, even though I didn't quite have the experience, 
they gave me a shot. They're like, you look like you, you have potential. So they gave me opportunities. And I, I, you talk about confidence. I really, I really didn't have a lot of confidence in myself and I still am not the most confident person. I doubt myself very easily. But I've tried to just kind of remind myself, like, just say yes and then figure it out. Because if you don't do something because you think you don't know how to do it, then you're never going to do it. Because none, do any of us really know what we're doing? Like you just, you do it and then you learn and then you know how to do it. Where do you think that comes from? Like, is that, do you think you learned the work ethic and the willingness to like go up against your doubts head on from your parents, from specific friends? Where do you think that, that comes from? Probably my parents in some like subliminal sense. Um, I mean, my mom, she, she earned her whole life. Like she put herself through school from like after high school on. She did everything herself. Um, I mean, both my parents like work really hard and are happy and do what they love. And I don't know. I just... I think the passion drove me most. Like I just wanted it so bad. I was so hungry for it. I just, like, I don't know. Nothing was going to stop me just because I wanted to do it. In getting these internships, and you've done multiple internships, what was the path to actually starting the relationships with the people that you knew you wanted to go intern for? Um, My... Freshman year, the first internship with Ramshead, I um, I saw like a Facebook ad for it, just for their street team, and then they took some of the street team members and gave you an in-office internship. So I would go in the office like two days a week, but then do like street team stuff. Um, so that was just like joining the street team that I saw on the Facebook ad. Um, and then my senior year for the Wrecker. Through Cab, I had worked a lot with the record doing ticket giveaways, and they did. They hosted Towson Trivia, and Will, who used to work at the record, hosted Trivia. So just getting to know Will, and then I needed an internship, and I was like, "Hey, like, can I come intern for you?" And he was like, "Yeah." So Will just got married too. He yes. did. I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Congrats to yeah. Will. Will. So really, just taking the opportunities when they're presented, and even yeah. if you weren't a hundred percent confident in yourself or the or knowing that you could actually do the job they're going to ask of you and you may not even know what they're going to ask of you essentially right but just going for it and seeing what happens has all panned out yeah and and I have been extremely lucky I feel like kind of like we all are our own brands individually and like a band is a brand too I guess in hindsight as as I'm talking about it like with a band that's what you want for a band is you want to build the team around them and help them propel forward and build their brand and be successful. And that's also, I feel like what I'm doing too is I'm building my brand. I'm building the team around me, whether it's in the workplace or just people I know and for me to succeed. Like it's all about opportunities in both worlds. So I'm putting you on the spot here, but what does the brand of Sam Silverman in the music industry represent? What do you want people to feel or think about? That I'm passionate and enthusiastic about what I do and hardworking and like I get stuff done. To, to follow up 
Jordan's question, where, where do you see it going? Not that what you're doing now isn't awesome. Yeah. I'm just curious, as you're building the brand, you are young. Where do you want it to go? Have you, have you even wrapped your head kind around Kind of, it? a little bit. I mean, short term, I think I want to keep growing within Live Nation. Um, it's a great company to work for. I probably am the happiest I've ever been in a workplace setting. Um, Tell us why, because I think in general they get a bad rep just yeah, because no, they're so you're big. Right. You're right. Um, and the deals they create. That was one of the things, like when I started, like just we talked about, is like people kind of have a target on Live Nation's back. Um, I guess like as with any big company, they just think it's like just some corporation that's greedy and I don't know, whatever. But I think Ticketmaster is part of that too. Yeah, and like ticket fees. But like Live Nation and Ticketmaster are also separate entities. But I think, I mean, I love working for Live Nation because they care. Um, they care about their employees. They, from health insurance to like making sure that you're okay, like mentally. And they have this program called Taking Care of Our Own, where if something catastrophic happens in your life, they'll help raise funds for you. When the hurricanes happened in Houston, there were offices of people that had been displaced, and some of them lost their homes, but they helped every single person, whether it was like getting them a hotel room to stay in until they got a new place to live. Like they, they care about employees. They care about the music and the bands and relationships. Like it's a very powerful company with a very large network and they care about maintaining relationships and building bands. And, and another huge part of it is they care about the fan experience like from the moment you buy a ticket or look on our website to walking in the venue for a show, like we care about every single aspect of a fan's experience. So that's actually a, a good place uh, to kind of stick with that, but, but to introduce someone from our Facebook group, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, and oftentimes with guests like Sam, uh, we let you people in the group uh, who... Uh, have just been really, really engaging, especially uh, at the start of this new year. Um, you guys have the opportunity to to ask some questions to our guests. And and Edward Smith from Maryland, um, one of his questions was, what's your average work day like? And, and he asked because he has a curiosity about marketing uh, in music. Um, so I'm interested in, in like a day today, but also if you could just use like one show as as a case example of okay the show is is booked and then what do you do all the way up until show time so uh, is that months i'd assume uh could yeah. you walk us through that as well yeah i mean a typical i guess marketing campaign for a show is from the moment the show is confirmed um getting things like ad mat in order and all of your assets in place um and then depending on the show, like make sure the radio station knows about it, like all your promotional partners know about it so that when it is announced, everyone can kind of announce it together. So you have announced the show and then kind of just maintaining the campaign. Um, and that's everything from social media to radio to TV to just other digital outlets and giveaways with promotional partners. 
um, just selling tickets. And and the goal is obviously you would want every show to sell out, but that's not realistic. So every show has its own goal of how many tickets it should hopefully sell, and you do what you can to influence ticket sales. At what point in the process do you set those goals for each show? Um, usually when the talent buyer books the show, they'll kind of know based on the deal, like this is the deal and this is how much it's going to cost to put on a show, so we should aim to sell this many tickets to cover expenses and I'm, make money. I'm curious, what kind of team are you working with? So you're talking about you know, the social media. Are you doing that or do you, or do you manage someone who's doing social media? Yeah, I manage someone who, who does social media. Um, and kind of another reason why I love working for Live Nation is specifically my team in my office. Um, they, I, I might be a little biased, but we, we're some of the best in the biz. Like we, we just work really well together as a team because everyone individually is good at what they do and loves what they do, and we respect each other. So we work really well as a team. Um, but I guess in, in my office, like, so I manage someone who does social media. They're actually off-site in Tennessee. Um, we have a general manager. We have three talent buyers. Um, I'm one of three on a marketing team. There's the general manager's assistant. Um, we have a team that sells premium seating in the venue. We have a team that that sells and executes special events in the venue, um, operations, production. I think that's it. <laughs> what do you think makes you an effective manager? So we're not talking about music specifically, but just a manager of people. Um, I think I, I tend to see the bigger picture on things and, and kind of like my career has been where people have seen potential in me and giving me a shot. Um, that's what I really want to, to emulate when I manage someone is to help them. I mean, to teach them what I know um, and to empower them to be able to do the job instead of me just like delegating stuff and telling them what to do. Um, I want them to kind of just to understand why we do what we do or why they have to do what they have to do. Um, and empower them to do it. In your the circles that you're managing, and even just the circles that you're working with, does being so soft-spoken play uh, in your favor for people to listen to you and you're, you can effectively communicate with them because they know they're not really being talked to, but it's they're being you know, it, or yeah. you're, you're talking with them as a group. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I first got the job here at Live Nation when they were interviewing me after the fact they told me they're like like we weren't sure if you would be too nice like to work here basically and I'm like I think I've developed a backbone from like being an intern and going through more stuff but um yeah I mean I'm I don't like I don't yell at anyone or really like get frustrated directly at someone and like take it out on anyone so I think it's definitely well like no one in my office really like yells. That's not how we communicate. We all like if there's a problem or like we people make mistakes all the time. We make mistakes in this office, but we deal with it together and we get through it together and just work through it. 
To, to yeah. follow up on, on uh, Edward's question, he's asking, what's your favorite part of the job? But with what we were just talking about in mind, I'm also interested, when do you get most frustrated as well? Uh, I think my favorite part of the job is knowing that someone who like really loves that artist knew about the show and like bought a ticket and got to see them because the main goal of my job is for people to know about the show. It's hopefully then buy a ticket. So um, that's so freaking important. It's ridiculous. I mean, that, that's literally the foundation of what we do. Like the number one reason why people don't buy tickets is because they don't know about the show. That is. So true, and we see it all the time where we'll get a message or a comment on something that we post, and they're like, whoa, you were in our town two days ago? I had no idea. Yeah. And it just makes me, it, it's, it's like, what the fuck? Did we not do a good job? Where did the ball get dropped? Well, this is really interesting, uh, especially having a, a marketing manager representing a venue and then, and then someone representing Matt with a band. Uh, how much responsibility do you both put on yourselves and each other? Because I'm, for you, Sam, I'm sure it'd be very frustrating to go uh, look at the, a website or social media of a band and see that they're putting no effort into it. Uh, as Matt, I'm, I'm assuming you look at a venue and see that they should be doing more. Do you want to take this one first or should I go? I guess I'll I'll do it real quick. I think I think the way I kind of view a marketing campaign is that the band and their team knows their audience the best. Demographics, everything. But a venue knows then like they communicate, they tell us what their audience is and we learn by doing research and then locally we know what resources we have that then match that demographic. So I think it really is a team effort. Um, obviously, you want to see each other promoting the shows. Um, and a lot of it, it, it's a show succeeds the most when like the band does a decent amount of marketing and the venue does a decent amount of marketing because you're going to tap into kind of two different markets a little bit, um, two different audiences, captive audiences. So... Um, yeah, I mean, you definitely want to see both sides working together. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I, I think from the, the band perspective, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and our team, immediate, you know, our, our immediate team puts a lot of pressure on the situation um, to really get the word out there. And whether that is through investing in having a tour photographer come out to every, you know, traveling with us on every show or a tour videographer, um, capturing content that can be used on the current tour or on future tours, um, having ad mats, recording videos and posting them via social. Because really, for a band, that is, we utilize our social media more than anything to get the shows out there. We do personally work with our own, um, you know, social media manager, Finn specifically, who goes and he'll run the Facebook ads and he'll target the specific markets and he'll promote from our end. But at the end of the day, the fans are really paying attention to us if they care about the band. You know? So it's our job to be vocal about it. And we take it personally when, and we, and we blame ourselves when there is someone who says, hey, I didn't know about your show. We never, it's very rare that we look at like 
you or or the people that do your job in the respective markets and say, man, they really fucked up. Unless there is a blatant, obvious yeah. fuck up, like I was talking about earlier, where you see an ad mat that's wrong or the show gets announced improperly or you know any of the number of things that could happen. Um, but you're absolutely right. It should be a team effort, and the goal is to have the 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 members of the band's immediate team building building the right relationships, or, or I should say, the members who work with people like yourselves uh, and the venues, building strong relationships and strong open channels of communication to make sure nothing falls through the cracks, and that you are able to communicate, hey. We're seeing in this market that it's going slow. We know that if your band did X, Y, and Z, that it would sell more. So please communicate that, and then vice versa. You know that's yeah. what it should be. Yeah. And to do that, you have to have, I think, a good booking agent and a good manager who's able to communicate that information and vice versa, and who's willing to accept that information yeah. from you. And that's probably where you run into a lot of the. Challenges, I would think, because a lot of managers and a lot of booking agents don't want to hear that shit. They're like, "No, we know what to do. We know our band. We we're, we're going to promote it this way." And maybe that's cynical, but you know, I I feel like, at least within my career, I don't. I feel like that's not um, that's not like the typical response we get. It's like they genuinely <laughs> want to help, and like they'll ask, like you basically, depending on the show for a typical marketing campaign, you you check in like three times throughout it, like at the announce, like, okay, what are you guys going to do? And then you evaluate sales and it's like, all right, here's where we are. Like, what can we do? And then a final time, like in the back end, like 10 days before the show, you're like, okay, this is where we are now. Like, what can we do as like a last minute push? So Yeah, we typically get weekly updates, if not every other day from, <coughs> excuse me, from our manager Who's getting the, the the number of tickets sold emailed to, to them constantly, you know? And we'll get a copy of that XLS report, and it's just like, okay, we know in this market, you know, whatever we're doing is working. We know this market's almost sold out. We know this market is going really slowly. Um, I just, I guess, I, I don't mean to sound cynical, but in some ways I do because I see so many examples of bands that don't know that information. And I have to think that it's not coming from you because I, I mean, I just, I have the feeling that it's coming from um, the team, their, their immediate team, not asking for that information because you guys have all those numbers. You know on a day-to-day -day basis what's selling and what's not. And how easy is it for someone to say, hey, can you send me a spreadsheet with what it's looking like for this region or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how easy, how long does that take? A second, just look up the ticket account. Right. So that I guess that's why I sound cynical about it because yeah. it could be managers and, and agents could stay on top of it a lot more, I think. I'm sure there are issues uh, market to market, and I'm sure a lot of this could be that maybe it is more of a deserted market where you might have a venue that only has one venue. Exactly. Uh, it's easy to promote, but maybe it's harder to get the people in that area to be aware of that show from whatever the marketing campaign may be. And Matt could probably speak to that, thinking of venues where uh, there's not a lot of competition, but it is hard to maybe get the message out. And maybe there is an effective way that you found for someone to get the message to all of these people from a specific area. But the area that Sam that you're in is very congested. 
with a ton of competition mm-hmm. and without without giving away and divulging the secrets of how you can infiltrate the market when it is so saturated, can you give any tips to people who are maybe from the from the group of people that are listening who maybe maybe not work for a venue and they're not doing marketing and managing, but maybe they're entrepreneurs and they're trying to weed through all of the noise that is their competition. And how do you actually get to your target audience and market? I mean, there is so much noise out there. Like that's the name of the game now is like, you have to, I forget what it is, but like you have to, there's been an increasing amount of the amount of touch points you need to, for the consumer to like see something before they take an action on it, like buy a ticket or um, whatever it's your like conversion seven is. Times. Yeah, and all of our attention spans are getting shorter too. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily a secret. I think it's it is figuring out what your target audience is and not trying to market to everybody, but just honing in on that group and finding the places that match that the best. And then also, it's like nowadays you really just have to get more and more creative with marketing. Like there's so many Facebook ads, for example. So it's like what what other campaign can you do that's not just an advertisement like buy this like coming soon like something that's a little more creative and a little more like broad and about your brand and just not so cut and dry you you mentioned the word brand and and I'm curious if if that's something that you help uh cultivate with for your venues um i think indirectly we don't we don't really have a lot of specific brand campaigns. I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand. Like if there's a festival and we have a, bo- a booth there, like we'll have the Fillmore banner and like a, you know, promote our shows there. So that is kind of enhancing our brand because um, it's not directly at the Fillmore, but we're just kind of getting our name out there and getting people aware of our calendar. Um, but I mean, Live Nation as a whole also kind of helps promote the brand. Um, yeah, it's mostly show. And I mean, every time someone walks into our venue, that's establishing our brand. Because you're going to have, you know, the experience you have there, you're going to associate with our brand that you can't get in another venue. Are you, sorry, Matt, are you mindful of the fan experience within your venue? Does that fall under your job description at all? Um, not so much under mine. Um, but the fan experience, everything from like, you know, capturing the show on social media. Um, so even if you're not necessarily in the room, but the way that you interact with people in line. Um, and sometimes like we walk the line and do like a Snapchat story and we have Fillmore branded socks that will give away. Um, so kind of making the person's experience um, enjoyable. I'll, I have two things. But one, just to follow that up, is I will say playing venues like the Fillmore are always a pleasure because they're beautiful venues, they sound great, which means my tour manager and sound guy are always stoked going in there. And two, it's always, I mean, the dressing rooms are great, the accommodations are great, the staff is always on top of shit, the production teams are fantastic. Like, there's definitely a... a, Standard that's held, at least specifically to the Fillmore's that I've played that are you know specifically Live Nation. Are the areas often similar areas? Do they pick 
areas that are pretty bustling not, and, and up always. and coming? Because no. the one where Sam works is incredible to walk around. Yes. I mean, right there, <clears throat> excuse me, in Silver Spring, you pretty much have everything. And that's another great thing about the area. But I can just tell you from the band standpoint, like, it puts us in a great mood to play a show. It makes it very easy for us to put on a good show when we go into a venue that gives a shit about the artist that's coming in. Um, you know, even down to the fact that like if we sell enough tickets, you guys give us like cupcakes or a cake or whatever it is. There's always or, or dangerously delicious <laughs> pies, um, specifically. But um, what I was going to ask you too, you mentioned that it's important to be creative with the campaigns. Um, I was curious if you could share with anybody examples of campaigns that you've seen for marketing tours or marketing shows that have been really successful or that have been like, whoa, that's, that's fucking awesome. Like, it's different. Is there anything in particular that, st- that stands out for you? The one that stands out that I um, saw Live Nation do, like in, I guess, the arena world was... Um, Oh gosh, I forget what band it was. A classic rock band. And like when they announced the tour, they basically did this video that was them in an office building going up and up and down the elevator. And every time the elevator would stop at floor and open doors, they would like start performing a song and then stop until it got to the next floor. And like by the end of it, you just had an elevator full of people and the band and they were just like jamming out in the elevator. And it was just so different you know the band i remember that and i can't remember i'm was blanking it Aerosmith? On no i remember but I, but I can't i'll look it up i can't recall who it was it comes but I do to remember mind but i, I thought it. it was like for no an idea. insurance company like it, i don't even no, know you're uh, thinking one that was like glenn 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 was that yeah maybe, like the like the final maybe. countdown yeah. was playing oh that, yeah that was the final countdown that was yeah. in an office setting there's yes. yeah there's a couple of those on like commercials too but um Pulling out our phones and trying to look this up. <laughs> um, as you guys do that, uh, let's let's go to another question. This is from Justin Vernon, uh, who lives in Mississippi. Uh, and real quick, Justin is someone who joined the the Chocolate Croissants Facebook group in the past week, and uh, he did a solid by introducing himself uh, and and just some context for his his recent experience of the podcast and. Uh, it was very, it was very touching. So, so Justin, we we thank you personally, and we're very excited to have you as part of this community. Uh, and, and Justin took the opportunity to ask uh, Sam a question: um, What is the biggest hurdle you've overcome throughout your career so far? I think I would have to say, for me personally, is balancing my life. (laughs) Um, This industry is very demanding and fast-paced, and it's very easy to kind of get lost in that. Um, I mean, from when I was in college, I think it really started, and I was so, so involved in cab, and I loved it so much, and that was it wasn't directly the music industry, but it was like the events and kind of like entertainment industry. And um, I was doing cab and being a student and working part-time at the record store and writing the music column for the Tower Light. And I was just like so excited to be doing everything. And like that year I failed three classes because 
I was kind of neglecting my studies. And at the time, I was like, whatever, like this other stuff is so much more important. Um, And it kind of took me like failing those three classes to be like, whoa, like I don't want to do this again my senior year. And I kind of had to step back from stuff. And then, I mean, more recently um, with my full-time job at Live Nation and then I was managing the band. I saw that in August of last year, so a few months ago. Um, so is that why you stopped with Stack Like Pancakes? Um, yeah, mostly it was just, and being in a relationship and doing all of those three, those, I guess, three major things in my life. And it was getting hard to balance it to a point where I was happy um, trying to balance all of that and like be successful at my day job while feeling like I was helping this band to the best of my ability while also being in a healthy relationship. And I was just like, one of these things has to go. And it, it's just at the time for me, it was stacked like pancakes. And and it was getting to a point too where I had, I'd, I guess I'd been managing them for almost five years. And I really, you know, I, I did help them a lot, but it was getting to a point where they had grown so much that, I felt like I wasn't able to provide them with like really the services anymore because I didn't have that experience. So they they were just growing past me. And I was like I just I felt like it was kind of natural and in I feel like in the beginning of 2017 I was like I told Kellen cuz we had meetings all the time. I was like I feel like this is going to be the last year that I manage you because of our just or their traje- trajectory and seeing what I could realistically bring to the table. I'm like, I feel like you guys are like going to go here and I'm going to stay here. And I feel like this might be the year. And it was. Was it easy to let that go uh, in the sense that you, it's almost like, you, it's like raising a child of sorts, yeah. like raising like a cub. And it's like you get them to a certain point and then you just let them go free. You didn't necessarily, I guess, have to go through this whole process of figuring out what's the one piece I can let go and feel comfortable letting go. You are, I guess you just knew. Yeah, I kind of knew. I mean, it was, it was not like hard because it just... Bittersweet. It was right. Yeah, it was just bittersweet. Um and I and when I left them, they had a booking agent, which we hadn't ever had. So that was a huge plus because when I was managing them, I was booking tours, and that also took a lot of time. And I knew that I could not book one more tour because my life was just too busy, my job was too busy, and it takes a lot of effort to book a tour, and I couldn't do that again. So I felt good knowing that they had another team member. Um, yeah, I mean. I like seeing what they're doing from an outsider's perspective now from a, as a fan. So. so while we're here, I want to take another uh, question from the Facebook group. Again, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, and this pertains to, to being a manager of bands. Hey, look, it's Jeffrey Blake from episode 40 asking a question. Hey. Uh, and he asked, as a manager, uh, how did you compartmentalize decisions regarding artistic freedom and expression versus good business practices? Uh, did you try to steer your band's direction more or did you help them with the things that most artists need help with, like organization, scheduling, and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely involved in 
the business side. I mean, we talked about me not being a musician before. I, I mean, this, this industry, there's a creative side and there's a business side. And I am pretty much only involved in the business side. I, I would never tell a band to like change their sound or I don't know. I just, I'm not qualified to do that. I don't want to do that. Um, I just want them to be who they are. But it was mostly, it was just business decisions. And um, I, I guess I always classified it as Kellen the singer. He was, it was his baby. The band was his baby. And he had the vision and the dream. And he shared that with me. And I was just like, all right, so what can I do to help make that happen? Um, so it was kind of his his vision, us kind of planning together, and then me using my relationships and connections and understanding of the industry to help actually achieve that. Did you have any say in Kevin the drummer being the drummer? Uh, not. I mean, not really. It was, we all... Take all the credit, of course. No, no. I mean, Kevin, we, there was another drummer before him, um who would often miss out on rehearsals or gigs and Kevin would fill in. So he was kind of, it just kind of was a natural segue and everyone was just like, that makes sense. Jordan, were you asking about him physically being the drummer or being the drummer? Yeah, I guess when, as I said it, it I, yeah, you could have taken it any other way. And which is the brilliance of the Kevin, drummer. The drummer. Uh, Jeff follows up with, with another question that I think would be cool for all of us to answer. And, and it's a really interesting question that I haven't really thought about before. What is the most artist-friendly venue you've ever visited? Um, and I'd even go a step further and, and say artist-friendly, but also fan-friendly. Hmm. Well, I can be biased and say the Fillmore. <laughs> no, but I, I haven't really been... I mean, I've been to a lot of venues, but not really on the artist end. I've just gone as a fan and a concert goer. Um, yeah, I don't really have too much like experience actually going to venues on a tour with, with, with the band, per se. Do you have a venue outside of the Fillmore that you just absolutely love? Um, the Wrecker. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of memories in The Wrecker. What was your first mm. show at The Wrecker? Mine was Insane Clown Ooh. Posse. My first show at The Wrecker and my first show ever was Liz Fair. Oh, wow. I was in seventh grade and the song Why Can't I was on the radio. And my dad took me. My dad took me to a lot of concerts growing up. Um, so I was just like, I don't know. I'd never been to a concert before. I was like, I like this song, so I want to go see the artist. But it was... It was an experience. <laughs> Matt, what was your first show at the Wrecker Theater? It's not there anymore. It wasn't Insane Clown Posse? We talked about Insane Clown Posse today. It, was, it wasn't Insane Clown Posse. At the Wrecker, it might have been Laughing Colors, honestly, now that I think about it. Did you know that they were local? I did. Um, but I could be wrong. I can't remember what the... what. The first show. Did you know they're playing with Jimmy's Chicken Shack next month at um, Ramshead? I didn't. You going to go? But maybe. Um, I've always loved those guys. I don't know. I can't remember. What, what about, okay, Justin, what was your first show at the Record Theater? I won tickets to go see <laughs> Disturbed, and I think I took you 
by, and I was at work at the time, and I screamed like the ooh, ah, 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 ah. I screamed that at work. It was caller nine versus 10 to win tickets. And I think I took you. So this Jordan. is strange because <laughs> I would bet this apartment on the fact that I was the one who won the tickets and did that. No, I did it at uh, our uncle owned an Italian ice yes. restaurant. So we have the same exact story, but I was the subject in the story. <laughs> Whoa, no way. No, no, no. Because I screamed. I did not do anything like what the song sounded like. I literally just screamed into the phone. But I have a very clear vision of being on the phone while working and asking others that were in the store to do it with me so we would beat the person we were competing against on the phone. Did you lose? No, I won the tickets and I chose you to take to no, the record. of course not. I walked in the back with the cordless phone and just screamed my head off and they were like, whoa, you just destroyed Caller 9. Wow, and yeah. I've told this exact story to it, ten people it since was then. Not like you. you guys have some shit to work yeah, out. Yeah, dude, that yeah. was not wow. you. Of course not. This is awkward. Of course not. I'm sitting between the both. Yeah, of, you. of course wow. not. Wow. The dude like electrocuted the singer electrocuted him and he he died. Right, but on you were stage. there. No, I I won due those to my tickets. hard work. No, of course not. On it the was, phone that evening. Okay, of so, course not. So uh, back what, to this. Let's what's ask your favorite venue that you've seen a show? Uh, well, in not answering the question specifically for the experience, because that's really hard to answer. My favorite venue is Merriweather Post Pavilion, a pavilion in uh, the Columbia, but in the Baltimore area. Um, I I love those venues. Uh, I think an amphitheater is the best place to see a venue because of the way it's set up. You don't feel like you're in a standing room only and being short, everyone is taller than you, and you to me, I tend to feel like I'm missing out on a certain experience. And so Merriweather has always been great because I'll pay a little extra to get a good seat and sit down low and feel, feel like I'm in the exact right place where I want to be for the show. And, I, and they always, I, I feel like it's uh, a lot of my favorite bands year after year end up playing maybe playing or yeah maybe playing Merriweather. I'd say the same and a lot of it is due to the staff. And and yeah, I, it's the staff just a well. very uh look no offense to Live Nation but sometimes when you're that big uh it's it, it's tough and, and and it feels like with with Merriweather uh who's you know owner and promote or I guess they're owned by the county but but the promoter and uh the way it's run it's it's a bit more regional and it, it the vibe seems a, a bit more relaxed uh, in general. Yeah. Uh, you may have a different perspective, but that's at least my perception. Um, I've seen there, there's plenty of shows the staff, where like though. they won't like check your bag. You're allowed to bring in food and things like that. And and I think it's those things go a long way in feeling like I'm respected as a patron to to their to their business. Um, but and there's all kinds of reasons. But but there it's it just seems very. It seems very artist friendly too, as well. Um, not that I've ever been there as an artist, but that's the perception I get. Matt, what about for you? Well, just to to tell you, they recently redid their whole yeah. backstage. Yeah. I've area. seen that. It, it is, looks incredible. It is beautiful. And when the Warp Tour came through this past summer, I, I stopped in, and everybody. It was just like the whole place was alight with, you know, oh my god, this is like the best venue on the tour. It's the, you know, as far as the backstage area goes, for so many bands. There's a freaking pool 
for that's like a private pool in the backstage area just for bands and it's like it's like a waterfall and it's just crazy. Even before they did all of that, I I skipped my senior prom and went with a friend to to who was working for Warner Brothers and we went to a show there and the backstage area was unlike anything I had seen before. Especially the tour itself was a little more over the top. They had I mean there was like a chocolate fountain back there and the the staff couldn't have been any more accommodating. Yeah. It was it's, just, it's, I mean, it was ridiculous. They're on top of their ship. You know what? There's so many great venues out there. Um, and it just comes down to the culture of the people that are working there, understanding um, that the fans are coming to that venue for hopefully an experience like they'll, that they'll never forget. That's super important. So the venue should be clean. It should look the way that they want it to look. And it should be accommodating in every single way and treat the fans. The fans should be treated like who they are, which are the people that are keeping the venue alive. Um, and the artists, when they come in, should be treated just as well because it's our job to to contribute to that experience and provide a great, um, memorable bunch of moments that they're going to never, hopefully never forget. You know, So um, I don't know if I could pick just one venue. There's, there's a lot of great venues that I've been lucky enough to, to play that have had amazing staff, amazing accommodations, um, and they really give a shit. And that's really what it's about. Fillmore being one of them, uh, for sure, that we always look forward to. Sam, from an experience standpoint, is there a specific show that you worked on and were a part of that you'll always remember as part of your career being a highlight? I think I mentioned it before, but... Hoodie Allen, going back to that, just because it was one of my first. Um, and he was just so hands-on and it was just a really enjoyable experience. Um, and then another one, um, The Lone Bellow, when I worked at Soundstage, played there. It, I think it was their first tour. It was one of my first shows and it sold out. And... Um, they did like a little meet and greet after the show and I got like got a poster signed and they wrote like 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 uh to Sam like thanks for everything and I was like oh my gosh like so that it was just I kind of hold that near and dear to my heart just because there's a lot of like firsts and just a cool experience. I'm curious kind of going into a very different direction uh you, you mentioned balance being very important one of the reasons uh why you you let some good stuff go uh, for the sake of of balancing your life um, is is self improvement something like a concept for you and, and if so uh, what sorts of uh, exercises or or modalities um, or, or, or things that that you engage with daily weekly um, to 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 be this productive and and to try to maintain balance and growth in your life? Um, yeah, I mean, self-improvement, I always, I hold myself to a high standard. So I, I tend to take things personally if they don't go completely right. Um, I'll tend to think like something is my fault and like, oh, this could have been better if I would have done this or that differently. Um, and that's something I always want to try to ease up on myself about. Um, I think obviously no one's perfect, but sometimes I like expect myself to be perfect and 
it's really hard for me to to kind of uh, give myself a break and realize that I'm not. Um, but I mean, honestly, I don't think I do any like active sort of practices for that. It's more of like just reflection and in talking to my wife about stuff and just like this happened and she'll kind of talk me through it and I'm like, oh, okay, like that's a better perspective than what I had. And um, yeah, I, I, I always want to improve kind of my outlook on myself, I think, which then in turn will have a better outlook on my job and my life. Which I think is so important because I think a lot of people may be a bit linear in thinking that, that okay, I want to be successful in my career, so let me just spend, uh, in your case, all my time going to like marketing conferences and, and things of that nature. Uh, but it seems like you realize that an actual investment in yourself as a human being an actual uh, interest and and uh, and just energy in the the relationship you have with yourself, like that ends up spilling over in, into everything in your life. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. So you just got married uh, to a woman. Do you like take her last name, or does she take your last name? How does she, that work? I mean, you can do it however you want. She's taking mine. She already took it. She's in the process of changing everything over. Um, yeah, I mean, when you get married, no matter if it's straight or not, um, you can change your name to whatever you want. You can change your middle name. You can change your first name. You can do whatever you want. So, um, Wait, I can change my middle name? Yeah. Oh, I need to get married, guys. <laughs> like, there are people what are you going to change your name right now? You can change your name to whatever you want. Yeah. Of course you can. But Jordan, but what are you, you going like to change your name to? I incredible reason to change my middle name. What's your middle name again? Michael. Why do you want to change your name? Now, because I know that I can. Clearly. What would you change it to? Uh, maybe Sam Silverman. <laughs> <laughs> Hyphenated. Right? Jordan, 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 Jordan Sam Silverman Goodman. 41. It's a great name. That is a great name. Um. You, you you said she's a she's she works in the school system. Mm-hmm. She's so a teacher. Does do you think others have this perception of you have this like rock star lifestyle? Yes, yes. That is that is the biggest misconception of I think this industry. Um, I mean, it used to be sex, drugs, rock and roll, and it, I, maybe some parts of it still are. Oh, but, for Matt, clearly, yeah, and like, of course for you as well, right? Absolutely. Um, but no, but like I think the the first question everyone asks me when I, they find out what I do is they're like, oh, so like you get to meet all the bands and like you go to all the shows. And I'm like, I mean, no, like because for me in, in marketing my on any specific show, I guess the campaign kind of ends once it's the show day. So I, there's no reason for me to go backstage and hang with the band actually that's discouraged because it's the band's house it's their house for the night like they don't want all the employees just walking around backstage um and i'm sure it doesn't take long to kind of sniff out the employees that are there because they want the access yeah yeah that's not what it's about um and i think that that's been a something that i try to keep in mind throughout my career is that like 
I mean, musicians are people too, like celebrities and even the biggest pop stars who get all the news coverage and gossip magazine coverage. Like they're just people too. Like I, people make such big deals about like Taylor Swift and who she's dating. And I'm like, I don't really care. It doesn't affect my life. Like she's a person, she can do what she wants, like whatever. It's, that's like someone criticizing my relationship. It's like, you don't know me and I don't know you. So why, why do that? Um, no, but it, I don't know this, I think this industry is like, you work hard and play hard. Definitely. Um, how do you play hard? I think. Do you still go to shows? Yeah. Yeah. And is that playing hard for you? You used to log all the shows you would go to, and yeah. you would log. I mean, the same amount of shows that like Jordan and I were going to when we were in high school, and this was the only thing we wanted to do was go see bands and artists, and we did it all the time. We just pushed everything off to the side and focused on that solely. But now you have, you have a lot of stuff on your plate. You've got a relationship now. You're married. You know, and you've got your job that you said before we started recording. You were saying that it's now more in alignment with the way that your wife, like her work schedule, being mm-hmm. more of like a set nine to five or yeah. seven to four. Because I mean, when I was single and it was just me and the only thing I had to be responsible for was me, I would go into work later because that is, I guess, one perk of this industry is that the hours are a little later. Um, and I would go to a ton of shows that, you know, leave work and then go drive to whatever venue and then come home at midnight and wake up and do the same thing. And that was when it was just me and now there's someone else in the picture and that's where my priorities lie. And it's not, and like it's, I do like a lot of music and that was, I think, one of the reasons why I went to so many shows is because I liked so many bands. And of course, I guess being in this industry, um, when you have relationships, you you don't really have to pay for tickets a lot. So I would go to a lot of shows because I can get them for free. But I would go and see all these bands that I like kind of sort of liked and just like, I'm not doing anything tonight, why not? But now I have other priorities and things going on. So you play hard at home. <laughs> yeah, sure. And Fair it's enough. probably really fulfilling, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm. Do you I'm take that happy. time? That time is very precious yeah. when you're home and your wife is home, and you guys get to just like hang out and whatever you're doing. Yeah. The cat. You say you have a cat. Yeah, we have a cat. You guys can hang out with the cat, and that's probably like really that's the precious time you can be together. Yeah. And and I know what that's like because I know it's like I've I've talked about this before on the podcast. Like my fiance working night shift. We get this on nights that she works. If I'm busy during the day, we have this like hour together. It's like a really precious time. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely move my schedule around and do the same thing to accommodate that. Yeah. And we go to shows together now. Shows that we both want to go to that like, and we're so busy during the weeks that we tend to do a lot on the weekends. So we just have less time to go to shows. What's but. a great show you guys went to together? Um, actually, we met at a concert. Before we like, because we dated online and then we like met up at a concert. We didn't actually attend it together. Was it that disturbed show that I wanted to get to? Jordan's really good at guessing which concert the Not couple quite met that at. Long Jordan, ago. You have another guess? What was the venue in the year? Uh, it was 2016. 2016. Hershey Park Stadium. Oh. Matt? What was the month? Dave Matthews Band. Yep. It was July. Oh, 
All time mm-hmm. low. I'm gonna say. Yes. Oh, I got it. Oh wow. Was that the A Day to Remember? Blink One Eighty Two. Yep, all was time it. low. I was close. I was gonna say Beyonce. <laughs> right, right, right. That's, That's a fun tour. Much, yeah. Yeah. Someone else. Oh, and All American Rejects. No. No, they, they were, were on, on like certain. Tour. Yeah, certain dates. Look at that. Crazy. Um. As we start to wrap this up, uh, is that Katy Perry, Jordan? Yeah, that's my Katy Perry with a sanity from NXT <laughs> uh, portrait from uh, from Mabson uh, selfies, pets, and food. I think it is on Instagram. You see it? Check him out. Um, one sec, because I, I screenshot it. This this question from our guy David Wilson from Pennsylvania. We think he's from Pennsylvania. So I, so it's kind of creepy, but I actually click on these Facebook profiles so I can actually uh, reference where these people are from. But then I start getting all this information. David Wilson doesn't have his hometown uh, listed or where he's currently living, but based off of, I think, where he works, uh, where he went to say school. Where he works. I'm Why don't you just to, like, take it easy? Yeah. Why don't you just read the yeah, question? Matt's already freaked out, so. Yeah, I'm already freaked out. Yeah, Why Matt posted just, things and he's freaked out, so. Yeah, why don't you just read the question? Stop scaring me. Matt, you want to read the question? Congrats on buying a house, by the way, man. Yeah, congrats, Matt. Thanks, guys. A house that does not exist, actually. Hopefully be. Mazel Okay, it's a townhouse. Yes. Let's just clarify. Okay. It's not a full house. But you bought it, but it's it doesn't exist. Matt read, the, Matt, read the question, please. David Wilson from Pennsylvania, Jordan. All right. Sam Silverman, what advice do you have for a new band slash artist trying to make a name for themselves? Thanks, David. Um, I think be prepared to work hard. Um, I think there's a quote, and I'm paraphrasing, that I read recently. Um, oh, it's like, it takes a few years of work to make it look like an overnight success. Like it, like all the, all the bands you see like popping up on the radio. Like actually, it's funny. Speaking of all time low, their song "Good Times" is on the radio right now, and I heard it on a radio station. And the DJ was like, "Yeah, check out this band, All Time Low. They're actually from Maryland. Like this new band, All Time Low." I'm like, mm, "They're not new. Like it's just because there are a lot of things that people don't see." From, that a band does that's not like mainstream or that a lot of people see, but they put in the work. And I mean, that's what it is, is it's, it's, a, it's a long game to play. I feel like you're one of those fans that wants nothing more than your small favorite indie band to be beloved by the rest of the world. And All Time Low is yeah. doing that. Yeah. I think. Pretty well of right course, now. and yeah. they're like they're a band like man, like they've just done it all. Like they've played the game right, and it, it's because like the faster you come up, the faster you're going to come down. And they've taken a long time to come up, and not that this is the peak by any means, but like they're going to have a nice career. They already do, but they will. And and I think that's. Uh, kind of the way that you probably look at your career as well as as Justin, Matt, and I do too. In that this is a long game, and that all these projects or opportunities or or even jobs kind of fit a longer narrative and and are just you know pieces that fit uh, and interlock and and continue to build. Um, I'd imagine that's the way you kind of see your career trajectory. Yeah. It's way less anxiety producing to think about playing this really long game because if you expect that everything's going to happen tomorrow, 
you're you're just gonna keep having this this like anticipation of like oh it's coming it's coming it's got to come tomorrow it's got to come tomorrow but if you just decide hey i'm putting in the work now and slowly but surely i'm gonna build piece after piece after piece and it's gonna amount into this amazing picture one day then it's all good just keep doing the work but i think i even think another really good piece of advice you said earlier was when it comes to marketing you know and like hey you're making music right but tons of people are making music market interestingly you said you know the yeah. ones that are really going to cut through the noise are going to do something interesting and that band foreigner was the band yes. on the <laughs> elevator wow what a callback right who yeah so now well i guess we'll we'll post that so we can watch it if anyone hasn't seen it Matt, you're looking at me, man. Matt's got things to say. He's smiling. He's really excited. I, I mean, he's I, talking to Tyson. I like this idea of the long game for sure. I don't think not having anxiety is necessarily a good thing, though, when you really want, and it doesn't have to be like crippling anxiety, but I mean, there should be uh, a sense of urgency. I think the long game can be played out however you decide the long game to be, because there is. What is it? Maybe Jeff Bezos or someone who is who is asking that question of your say your five or ten year plan. Can you execute that in ten months? Ten months could be the long game. It could be. It's whatever you want to make band, it to be. Yeah. It's probably not going to be. Of course yeah. not. I, I also think this this, this mental model of a long game also uh, one it can help develop patience and, and things just take time in general. But also uh, where it can lessen maybe some stress is that if you have a bad day, like we all do, then like if you look at it in a bigger picture, then just chalk it up to just a bad day and it's not ruining like the whole path forward. There's always tomorrow, hopefully. True. Very deep. Jordan, take it home. Sam, are you ready to take it home? Yes. You've never done this before, no. correct? <laughs> How was it for you? It was great. It good was work. Like, yeah, good conversation. Yeah, that's what we try to do here. Is there anything you want to share with the rest of the group, the community? Any kind um, of social? Is there something you want them to check out? A show coming up you really want them to come to? They're all going to fly in for? Something you're working really hard on? I would say just go check out the Fillmore Silver Springs website. We have a lot of shows coming up and a, a lot of different shows, a lot of genres. I think you'll find something you'll like. If you're in the greater Baltimore, Maryland, D.C., Virginia, PA area, it's worth the trip. Of course. Great venue. All right. That brings us to the end. Uh, Sam, thank you for doing this. Uh, we've, I probably reached out to you four months ago. Uh, if not yeah. before that, uh, to do this, uh, you were someone that we've had uh, on a short list. And I think it's because what I said earlier, I just, one one of the reasons why I did ask to get coffee with you many years ago is because I saw a lot of myself in you. And, and I just knew that whether it's two years from now or five or even the next 15 years from this day, like whatever you're doing, it'll be successful and something that's I'd assume in line with what you're passionate about at that time. So uh, I think you sharing your story uh, through this platform is going to inspire a lot of people. Um, and, and, and I think it's cool that you're not a musician. 
I think that's very cool that like you're not a musician, but yet you're finding all this success uh, in the music business because music is something that you're very passionate about. So good on you for that. Thanks. Yeah, and bringing you on the podcast, that was the first thing I thought about is you're like an unsung hero. You are one of those integral pieces of the puzzle that a lot of us were missing and we, we all needed a Sam Silverman in our life. Thank you. Yes, we all need. We Sam did. Silverman. Of, of course we. I mean, I'm I'm speaking from the perspective of when Jordan and I were playing in bands. We yeah. we always wanted to build the team. Yes, we've was, heard this many times before. But Justin. it was really hard to find those people. So if there were more people that weren't musicians, and we're gonna hear it one that more just time. wanted to help, that would have been amazing. Sam, are you in the Facebook group? I am. Yeah. Facebook.com/slash/groups/slash/chocolate-croissants. I'm getting the hand from Justin. I actually did. And the tickets for Disturbed. Of course you did not. So um, the Facebook group is private. As Sam knows, in order to get into the group, she uh, requested to join, and and we gladly accepted her. Uh, And Matt, Matt, oh, Matt's all teed up. The finger's not up, but but his lips are on the trigger. I told you I I just sit against the mic. Ah, I'm just sitting here. Okay, so it's your resting position, I see. Feels good. Uh, So that's the Facebook group. Um, Matt, Matt, what, uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to be more active in the Facebook group, correct? I think we're going to come up with a content strategy. You know about that, Sam, don't you? You know about content strategies. Um, we, we've noticed one, having the, the question a day coming off of the new year's episode that really sparked a lot of engagement. And, and I think for us, it's important to make sure that, uh, as a community, that, uh, that we're facilitating and leading uh, because clearly there's a lot of you out there that want to engage with each other. Um, so we will continue to do that. Uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, uh, that is where you can rate and review chocolate croissants. That makes a big difference in getting uh, brand awareness uh, or uh, reaching our target market, as Sam Silverman would say. Uh, so please do that. We'd appreciate it. Also, whatever podcast app you use, uh, if you search Chocolate Croissants, there will be a subscribe button. If you click that, you will be, hey, subscribed. And that way, uh, if you are hooked up to, uh, to your Wi-Fi, say at home when you're sleeping, when we uh, release these, usually very, very late on Sunday nights, uh, it'll automatically download. And then when you make that commute to work... Uh, or you're in the gym, or wherever you may be, you can listen to Chocolate Croissants without using your data. I think that is it. Next week will be episode 42. We do not have a plan. Uh, maybe we'll invite Sam Silverman. Actually, you have a pool on your rooftop. You should be inviting us over there. I could. It's closed for the season, though. <sighs> yeah, Jordan, it's like 10 degrees outside. Can you just get it together already? With that, my friend... Oh, and... Uh, Got the bells. Is this the last the week of the bells? bells? I, I don't know. I, the bells are going to stick around. Yeah, the bells they will for sure. The bells are now part of the uh, chocolate croissants experience, I'd say. And on that note, bye bye. Bye bye. Jordan? Bye bye.